Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of Luke, chapter 15. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. Leads me in the path of righteousness for his namesake. The thing I want you to take away from this is that notice he leads them out. Never push them out. A shepherd doesn't drive them out. Are y'all listening? A shepherd doesn't send them out or run them out. The good shepherd will lead them. A bad shepherd will drive them and butcher them. A good shepherd will pick them up and carry them when they're down. A bad shepherd will kick you in the head when you're down. Jesus, the Bible says, is a good shepherd who laid down his life for who? The sheep. The shepherd rejoices in our text over restoration. He finds a sheep and he throws it over his shoulder and he rejoices as he carries it back. You know, when Jesus found us, he laid us over his shoulder and he carried us back. Where you get that from, Rodney? Romans 5, 6 tells us, for when we were still without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. When Jesus carries us, he does it with rejoicing, not with a grudge, but gladly. And when he gets back to the village, He calls his friends and neighbors and he says, rejoice with me for I found my sheep, which was lost. Now get this, the rabbis believed in that day that God would receive a sinner who came to him the right way. But notice in the parable, it's the shepherd that's looking for the sheep. In other words, Jesus is teaching that it is God who is looking for the lost. It is God who does the searching and the seeking. It is God who finds the sinner more than the sinner finds God. How many of us have been patronized, if you will? Are you listening? Been patronized when you tell a friend or you tell a family member, you go, hey, I became a Christian. And the first thing they say is, oh, I'm glad you found God. I'm like, listen, there could nothing, nothing could be more untrue and unbiblical. You don't find God. A couple reasons. Number one, God wasn't lost. Somebody say amen, please. God wasn't lost. And number two, you weren't looking for him. It was God who came looking for you. You weren't searching for God. You didn't care about God. You were doing your thing and living your life. And it was God who came looking for you. You know, I've heard people say, I haven't been to church in so long. If I go to church, the building's going to fall down. I remember one lady, I will never forget this. This was probably 15 years ago. I invited her to church and she said, Pastor, If I go to church, I I think the building will catch on fire. And I said to her, I said, you know what? That's not our God. 
That might be some other God, but that's not our God. Our God rejoices when he finds one who has gone astray. Our God rejoices. I'm going to say this to you, clap your hands. Our God rejoices when he finds one that's gone astray. Isn't that right? I mean, think about it. I mean, when we found, God found me. I was doing drugs. I was a nine-year-old kid. My life was headed out of control in a place where I couldn't walk anymore. And I had given up. I really had. At 21, I had been doing drugs since I was nine, and I went in the military, and then the military put me. I went through, I've been through all the programs. I've been through AA, NA, AAA. I've been to every, I've been through, I've been to every program. I'm like, they need a B program. Because I've been through all of the programs, and I know they don't work. The only thing that can save you and help you permanently, eternally is Jesus Christ. Can I get a witness? It's Jesus Christ. It's Jesus. I've been through them all. I, I know. And I was broken. And I had given up and I, had, I couldn't walk anymore. Sin had taken its toll and I didn't have any strength and I just laid down. But you know my story. January 23rd, 1982, Jesus picked me up and he threw Pastor Rodney. I wasn't Pastor Rodney. That was Rodney. He threw Rodney over his shoulder and he carried me. And he saved me. I'm happy about that. Because God changed my life, and I'm telling you, and I'm telling you what he did for me, he can do for you, and he has done it millions and millions and millions and millions and millions of times throughout the quarters of time as he picked people up, countless stories of people that he has picked up, threw them over his shoulder when you can't walk anymore, when you can't move anymore, when you can't fight anymore. There's no more fight in you. I know what I'm talking about. God will pick you up and do it for you. Yes, he will. I'm going to wait. He will do it for you. That's his heart. Now, let me jump to verse 7. Look at verse 7. Jesus said, I, I, I say to you, likewise, there'll be what? Joy in heaven. There's going to be what? Joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than 99 persons who, with no repentance. Look at verse 10. Jesus said, there's joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Now, I believe this is an in-your-face to the Pharisees because the Pharisees had a saying, there's joy in heaven if one sinner is obliterated in the presence of God. Can you believe them? If one sinner is obliterated in the presence of God, they said, there is joy in heaven. Jesus said, no, there's joy in heaven if one sinner repents. Listen, Jesus is into joy. And Mr. and Mrs. Christian you need to be in the joy. No one likes it or wants to be around a joyless Christian. It doesn't even make sense. You know, we claim that God did this and God did that and God saved me and God changed me and God worked in my life and God worked in my situation. If that be the case, I think you'd be happy about it. Can more than two people say amen? I think you'd be happy about it. Nobody wants to be around a joyless Christian. Because you're a bummer. Joyless Christians are a bummer. That's why you don't get invited to the parties. You're like, nobody ever invites me to the party. That's because you're no fun, Danny Downer. 
You're no fun, man. Nobody likes to be around joyless Christian. We claim that God is a God of joy. Listen, the Bible says the joy of the Lord is your strength. And you need to make sure you hold on to that joy. I'm going to be joyous. I don't care what I'm going through because I know God is in control. See, where's your faith? Who are you trusting in? Better to trust in man. Better to trust in the Lord than put confidence in man. Right? You see, you got to hold on to that joy. Satan will steal your joy because he knows if he can steal your joy, then he can cause you to doubt God. And sometimes when there's a problem, I'm just trying to help you. I'm your pastor. I'm just talking to you right now. Sometimes when there's a problem, you got to encourage yourself. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You really, really, and the people clapping know that's true. When there's a, sometimes you got to look at yourself in the mirror and you got to say, self, snap out of it. Self, trust the Lord. Self, believe God's word. Ain't nothing wrong with talking to yourself. Now, if you start answering yourself back, then you need Zoloft or whatever it is y'all take. I don't know. What do y'all take? I don't know whatever it is you need. You need it. But you got to encourage yourself. <laughs> you got to encourage yourself in the Lord sometime. Okay, the final parable, the parable of the coin. Look at verse 8, if you will. Or oh, what woman having 10 coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house until she finds it? Notice Jesus didn't say, or which of you being a woman? You see, if Jesus has said that, and said it that way, that would have been really insulting to the, to the Pharisees. Because the Pharisees would pray, get this, every day they prayed this prayer. Lord, I thank you that I am not a Gentile, a dog, or a woman. They prayed that prayer every single day. And I am amazed at some of the women's libbers or some of these movements nowadays that say that the Bible is oppressive and Paul and Jesus were male chauvinist pigs. I'm amazed at people that say that. As a matter of fact, when you look through history, think about it. You look through history, wherever, check this out, and this is true. Wherever the gospel of Jesus Christ has been preached, there has been an elevation and a lifting of women. Wherever the gospel has not gone, it has hindered and oppressed women. You look at countries like Iraq, countries like Iran, India, Arab countries. In the Middle East, uh, Middle Eastern women are sold for chickens sometimes. Like they'll say, well, you're worth, you know, four chickens or you're worth five chickens or ten chickens tops. You know, Jesus came to be a burden lifter and a burden bearer, not burdensome. And the gospel has given the rightful place to every male, female, black, white, Jew, Gentile. The gospel is the only thing that puts every man on equal plane. Every man. The gospel elevates people. And wherever the gospel is preached... People are elevated. So this woman has 10 coins. She loses one. She searches for it until she finds it. Now, in that day, listen, a bride would have a necklace with 10 pieces of silver or a veil sometimes with 10 pieces of silver on it. And even today, when we go to Israel in January, if you'd like to join us, go online and sign up. We're going to Israel in January. And we're going to drive through a Bedouin community. You have to drive through this community in order to go to the Dead Sea. And we're going to the Dead Sea. So 
we'll go through this Bedouin community and you'll see these women. You'll see camels and, and you'll see these women with these veils on and they've got these pieces of silver around their veil. And these pieces of silver are kind of equivalent to a wedding ring. Now, I've done a few weddings in my time, and I have seen some wedding rings of all wedding rings. I've seen some wedding rings that are like really, 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 really super big stones. I mean, big, super nice rings. And I like to play a joke, actually. I'll tell y'all this. I like to play a joke on the, on the groom, because especially if the ring is really, really nice, and it's the ring time, and I'll say, ring, please. You know, and the ring bearer gives me the rings, and I explain the rings. And uh, okay, to the groom, all right, as you're placing this ring on her finger, repeat after me. With this ring, with this ring, then I'm still making payments on. <laughs> he goes, then I'm still making payments on. Wait a minute, no. <laughs> well, I've seen some really, really, really big, like bling, bling type rings. And then I've done weddings where the ring looks like they want it at the state fair. I've done weddings like that. I remember doing a wedding one time, and they had the ring. You know those rings with the, like the, the jewel lollipop thing on it? You ever see those? The kids got those, and it's got a big lollipop like a candy thing on the top of it. And uh, so they got that ring on their finger. I'm looking at that thing like, give me a lick. So I've seen them all, you know, I've seen all the rings. And, and the truth is, listen, it doesn't matter. Ladies, perhaps you'll agree with this. It doesn't matter how big the stone is or how many diamonds. Does it, ladies? It doesn't matter, does it? Oh, dang. <laughs> Man, but did it get silent or was it just me? I said, it doesn't matter how big the stone or how big the diamond. And y'all like... might not matter to you. (laughs) They're like, oh yeah, it matters to me. Put a ring on it. (laughs) Ladies, look, y'all know it's true. Okay, let's let's talk theoretically, okay? Okay, theoretically, it doesn't matter what size a stone is. Ladies, please say amen. Y'all still didn't say that right. (laughs) Y'all like, yeah, yeah. It doesn't matter. It's, it's really, it's not what it costs, it's what it meant. And so this woman who lost something in her own home, she lost something precious in her own home. Listen quickly, please. She lost something precious in her own home. You know, I, we, I think we live in a culture where there's nothing worse than losing something precious in your own home. I remember one time my wife gave me this gold chain and it was a thin gold chain she gave it to me, I don't know, for whatever reason. And, and, and I remember we, we both were sitting in the family room, and I was trying on a shirt, a different shirt. I took off one shirt and put on another shirt. And, and, then, and then I couldn't find my gold chain. And we are looking like all over. I mean, we are searching the whole house, places that I know I was not upstairs when I changed my shirt. You ever look for something and you're looking in places you know you weren't there? Okay, so I'm on the roof pulling back the tiles. I know, I know it's not there. And I know, okay, so we were standing right here and we have this vent in the floor. 
And where, you know, the air conditioning comes out. So I'm thinking, well, maybe I popped off the shirt and maybe the gold thing. So I stuck my hand down there. I'm like, no, I don't feel it. I'm like, Elvira, you know, look down there and see. So I'm like, honey, stick your head in there and look in there. Look, stick your head in further, further. It's got to be. It's in there. I think it's in there. But there's nothing worse and nothing more grievous than losing something precious in your own home because you know it's there. And that was like four or five years ago. And I am telling you, I'm still looking for that gold chain because I know it's there. It's nothing more, it's nothing more tragic. And I see that in a lot of times in the homes in the U.S., listen to me carefully. In the U.S. homes, I think we, we are losing something very precious in our homes, and that would be our children. You know, if you notice, I'm noticing this, all this hockey, and you get your kids in hockey, and you got your kids in soccer, and you get your kids in softball, and, and, and you got your kids in so many things, and, and, you, and, and because they're in so many things, you can't bring them to church. They can't come to vacation Bible school. They can't come to church because, and have you noticed, I honestly think, I'm, I'm not one of those conspiracy theory people where like, you know, there's a conspiracy and everything, or there's a devil behind every bush. You know, I'm, I'm not one of those people either, but I think that there's something very, very wrong and very evil about all of the hockey, soccer, and all that stuff. All of the practices are scheduled on a Sunday or a Wednesday. Anybody know what I'm talking about? They schedule the practices where the kids can't get to church. And you know what happens? You are losing something very precious in your home. I don't think there's anything wrong with getting your kids need to be involved in activities. They absolutely need some outlet where they can get involved in something and be a part of something and learn team effort and learn sportsmanship. And they need an instrument where they can play. You know, I got a son, you know, that big person in the cage that fills up the cage. That's my son. And and he's been playing drums for years. and, And that, let me tell you something, playing drums for that boy has kept him out of jail. Somebody knows what I'm talking about, don't you know? Because they need something, but don't have them in so much stuff where you can't get them to church. In my family, it's been a rule since they were babies. You cannot be involved in anything that's going to take us away from church. If they're practicing on Sunday or they're practicing on Wednesday, because that's when we go to church. Sorry, sweetie, you can't be involved in it because we seek Christ. You seek the Lord first in everything. And I have never regretted that situation, never regretted that, that, that position as the head of a home, never regretted that position. And my kids, kids don't know any better. If you raise them in a certain way, y'all listening, if you raise them in a certain way, that's all they know. If you raise them that, hey, we don't, we, look, we don't, we don't do hockey on Sunday. We don't do soccer on Wednesday. If you raise them that way, that's all they know. They're not going to be like, oh, I can't believe I don't get to play soccer on, on Sunday. I don't get to play hockey. They don't know any better. Train up a child in the way that you have them to go and they shall not depart. Parents, that's your responsibility, and Father, even more, your responsibility. Is that right or wrong? Only half of y'all agree with that. That's okay. It's right anyway. Amen. Let the church say amen. Amen. Look at verse 10. All right, I'm coming in for landing. Look at verse 10. I say to you, There is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Now, you know, the Bible uses the word sinner. 
Why don't we? That sinner in our culture is like the S word. Oh, sinner. You don't say it. You don't say sinner. I mean, you know, we'd rather say things like the things we do wrong or our flaws or we're a victim. It's not politically correct to say we're a sinner. We say, oh, it's a disease. Listen, it won't help to give sin a new therapeutic name. Giving it a new name won't help. Nothing will help you until you call it what it is. Sin is sin. We are sinners. And Jesus died to save us from our sins. He did not die to save us from our flaws. Please somebody say amen. Please somebody say amen. He did not die to save us from our bad things that we do. He did not die to save us from our disease. He died to save us from our sins. And don't get me wrong, maybe you didn't have the best life and we didn't get dealt a fair hand in life and maybe you were dropped when you were a kid. And life ain't fair. Wah, wah, wah. Life ain't fair. Whoever said life was fair? Ain't nothing fair about life. But that's the good news. That's the bad news. The good news is, your home is in heaven. This is, you're not going to be here your whole life. Ain't nothing fair about life. I didn't get it. I didn't get the quote unquote, if I think about it, and I didn't get a fair deck, a hand, or whatever you call it. You know, in life, my mom packed hot dogs for a living, and for 30 years, she worked in a freezer packing Hot dogs, ballpark franks, they plump when you cook them. Y'all remember those? And I can tell you, we grew up poor. We didn't have, we, sometimes we didn't have cereal, we didn't have milk, we didn't have mayonnaise or mustard or bread or lunch meat or bologna. We didn't have nothing. We had nothing in the refrigerator, but we had hot dogs. And to this day, I will not eat a hot dog. Friday, this Friday, we had hot dogs for the kids after VBS. And somebody walked up to me, and they thought they were being a blessing. They walked up, oh, Pastor Rodney, I got, I've got you a hot dog. I was like, bam. <laughs> Boom. Why you do that? Because if you show me a hot dog, I turn evil. I don't like hot dogs. I don't eat hot dogs. I don't like them. But I didn't get a fair hand in life. I mean, my mom did the best she could. I love my mother. You know that. She did the best she could. And my dad was a drug dealer. And I'm supposed to be a statistic. Black male, Philadelphia, born, raised in the hood, father, drug dealer. I'm supposed to be in jail, at least have had a record before. I've never been to jail. And, and God saved me and God changed me. And God can do for you what you cannot do for yourself. I'm a witness. I know what I'm talking about. God is a good God. I say God is a good God. Yes, he is. Nobody has a perfect life. There's joy in heaven when one sinner comes to repentance. That's another word we don't like to use, repent. Repent. The word repent means to change your mind, means to change your actions. It means to change your direction. And the quicker you acknowledge you're a sinner and repent, the quicker you get forgiven. Sinners need to repent. Listen, we all need to repent. Or you say, wait a minute, Pastor Roddy, now I gave my life to Christ and I repented then. That's enough. No, it isn't. But we need to repent every day. Because 
The Bible says that our hearts are wicked and desperately wicked and evil in all its ways. Who can know it? Even though that you have been saved and you've been forgiven, you still have a wicked heart and you still need to repent of your sin. We all need to repent every single day because we're still dealing with this flesh and we're in this body. So in heaven, there's a party when one sinner repents. When you turn your heart to Jesus and you give your life to Jesus, heaven is a party. I get the impression heaven is one big party because people are giving their life to Jesus every single day. I believe it. Every single day and every single Sunday and every single place around the world, whether you're in Indonesia, India, Israel, Africa, South America, wherever, wherever this book is preached, People are giving their lives to Jesus, and heaven is going to be one big party. When we get there, I don't know about y'all, but I like the party. It's going to be a party in heaven. You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch and Calvary Chapel Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. Or you may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the Media Library on our website at cccarry.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light.